Blog Talk Radio. And gentlemen, let's get ready to be inspired. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis. And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, Time to get in the game. Hey, good morning once again. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another week of American Tennis. And we're doing a pretty darn good job of keeping up here now. Uh, gosh, you're letting us go to work, and that's exciting. I, I mean, gee whiz, I, I was trying to explain it to other people. But, you know, people think that just maybe being retired would be okay and everything, but no way in the world. For me, uh, my wife's always called me sort of a human doing, not a, you know, a human being and all that. And green and growing, you don't want to be ripe and rotting. You'd rather wear out than rust out. We know all that. But I, I came up with a pretty good one this morning. I said, I sort of feel like I'm treading water in the middle of a farm pond, duck pond, and the ducks are paddling around me splashing water in my face, and I can't do a doggone thing about it. What do you all think? I think it's a pretty good one, I guess. But anyhow, listen, we're getting to do the programs, and that is the the good thing, and we are trying to right the ship as much as we can and keep American tennis rolling. And uh, I got a great program for you today, folks. We have a great program for you today. And um, I, I wanted to read sort of what I wrote as the intro here before I bring our first uh, great guest on here, and it will be joined in a second by Ken Heidinger. But Tom Higgins, okay, first of all, I put here, wisdom is knowledge. Listen now, folks. Wisdom is knowledge that is battle-tested by the truth of time. How do you like that, folks? I came up with that one this morning. Today's program is a great opportunity to hear lessons learned and taught from these legendary coaches of Tom Higgins and Ken Heidinger. Their 90-plus years of teaching and coaching youngsters provides great wisdom for all of us, for young athletes, parents, coaches, teachers of all these sports. And um, I'm going to try to start out here by just getting Coach Higgins on the line. Uh, And I recognize his number up there. And Coach Tom Higgins, this is definitely a pleasure. I'm glad you're still kicking, man. We had some... You've had some health concerns here recently, right? You don't know what's coming around the corner. Are you doing all right? Well, uh, for an old plug, I'm still upright, <clears throat> pulling air, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going. I'm not going down easy. You know, uh, I'm one of these guys that failed retirement, probably conservatively three or four times, and I'm still coaching at at a high school in Charleston, South Carolina, enjoying it very much, and I've. I've I really in, still enjoy interacting with kids. Obviously, well, I can't I give a real retired. intense lesson like you guys, but uh, but uh, I, I can still feed a few balls and, and, and teach a few strokes. That, that's for sure. And, you know, before you retired officially as the head coach there, uh, you're still helping out, which is great. You're keeping it rolling. But you had, I think, 11 state championships or something like that in a row. Now, I'm going to read Whiz, I started looking up stuff now. You know all kinds. They can find out all kinds of stuff about you. 
And when I get Ken Heidinger on here, too, I know you guys had some uh, uh, comments. He'd go back to Murray, Kentucky, and they probably got the stuff written up there that you guys did back in the 60s and things. But 28 years at Eastern Kentucky, still you're one of the top 15 coaches in the United States college ever as far as win-losses. Uh, but, but here's why I want to go with this. Back in those days, you went to Murray State. Back in those days, you could get $35 a month if you joined the ROTC, the advanced ROTC. Is that correct? Was it 35 Yeah, months? Yeah, it was. Uh, that was your last two years, junior and senior. And uh, it sounded awfully good. Uh, Murray State, it, just in relation to tennis, uh, and a, a couple of the OV, Ohio Valley Conference schools were one of the first uh, schools in the country to give any form of aid for tennis. They didn't really call it uh, scholarship as such. They called it a workship. Actually, you could you could work at the games and make a little few bucks at the, at the football and the basketball games, and they called it a workship. Well, it was applied to your tuition. Uh, but uh, but yeah, in addition to that. Uh, going into my last uh, year, uh, I mean, last couple of years, uh, I t- everybody had to take two years of ROTC at that point. And uh, going into my last year, you know, uh, two years, they, they put a pro- program out there, said, well, if you sign up for this advanced program, you can make $35 a month. Good a God. dollar a day. It's a dollar and 60 cents a day. <laughs> okay. And, and, and in 1962 and 63, uh, that's pretty long money, <laughs> you know. Oh, and so, uh, so I did that. And then going, going into your senior year, said, uh, well, between junior and senior year, they, you went to Fort Bragg to do your basic training and came back your senior year, said, well, you're not likely to get it. These are the Army officials, but if you sign up for, uh, you know, the possibility of receiving a, a, a regular Army commission, you'll get $45 a month. I said, whoa, wait a minute. I'm, I'm putting my name on the line. What is that, $1.50? That's $1.50 a day now. <laughs> oh, I got a nice raise. And so so I was one of the few people uh, that my senior year, I probably went to school and made money. <laughs> you know? well, but, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I need to throw that in because I want to want to talk to you. If you look up about uh, – you did, and then you served in Vietnam. You went over and served in Vietnam, and you jumped out of helicopters, and you were in combat, and you did that for a couple years. Holy cow. Okay, and and then you came back, and tell me if I mess up here, you went to work in Washington, D.C. for the FBI. You went and did a stint with the FBI. Now, you have the great reputation of being the person that Spiro Agnew hit in the back of the head with a tennis ball. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Everybody knew he yeah. hit somebody. That, that was one of my one of my big accomplishments in the FBI. Uh, I was stationed in Charleston, West Virginia, and I got a call the night before uh, they were having the Southern Governors Conference at White Sulphur Springs, and and. Uh, Spiro Agnew was a tennis player. He was the uh, vice president under Nixon, and he wanted to play some tennis. Well, I said I was supposed to go down there, and obviously uh, we were playing. I was Spiro's partner, and we were playing uh, two Secret Service agents. And golly, they were, they had played college tennis. I think they played somewhere in, in the Southwest. I know one of them was an Arizona State player. They could have absolutely annihilated us. But they were doing it kind of for show, and they 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 had hit little fat balls up by the net. And Spiro's favorite shot, he would take the racket over his head with both hands and slam it down. And of course, he was photogenic. Everybody was doing that. Well. He was drawing a crowd, doing all this crazy stuff, and I was just his partner, just standing there doing what, what I could. And these guys from the Secret Service were making him look good. Well, it came Spiro's time to serve, and it absolutely 
he could he could wind up and hit it, but he had no clue where it was going to go, and it hit me right in the back of the head. Well, it it corresponded with an Associated Press's photographer that caught me. Well, I made the National Associated Press as being Spiro's partner, and and the ball caught me right in the back of the head, and and that that's that's a photograph somewhere in the annals of history. Where where I, I I caught it in the back of the head by Spiro, and I guess that well, was one you, you of my know, biggest. I, I hate to ask you this. I hate to ask you this question. I hate to go there. We're going to have Heidinger on here in a minute, and everybody's going to love this conversation. But I want I, I need to ask you now. Did you go and try to sue him? Did you go try to get a lawsuit because it probably <laughs> it knocked some sense into you? No, no, it knocked sense out of you. Not, <laughs> oh, oh my I, I gosh! Just, I, I was just I was just laughing. All I can recall is that I had a pair of sunglasses on, and it hit me, kind of a pretty direct blow. But it glanced off to the right and caught an ear of my sunglasses and peeled them off. And and I guess my only loss out of the thing, it broke the ear uh, earpiece off of my sunglasses. So I guess I could have sued him for that, but I chose not to. <laughs> well, I think that was good, and maybe that knocked the sense into you to go be a college coach for all those years. Then, you know, the 28 years at Eastern Kentucky, by the way, where they have named the tennis center there, the Tom Higgins Tennis Center, after you, rightfully so. And then, of course, you followed your bride down here to uh, – Charleston, South Carolina, and and you were a coach here working with young people, and and now you're still getting the young ones out there and giving them lessons and and helping them out. So, what what a what a great great thing there. And I, I before I bring Kenny on here, um, I got to get Kenny in on this because we've got to tell some good ones on him too. But I, I wanted to ask you in your with all your experience, by the way, you had three years you worked for J. Edgar Hoover, right? He was the head of the FBI yep. there. Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. So yep. Well, I guess the obvious question people would like to know is how and why did you make the transformation? There had to have been something like, look, I'm in the FBI working with J. Edgar Hoover. I'm getting to do these things. I'm hanging out there at the Greenbrier playing with the vice president of the United States in tennis. And then you go, well, well, wait a minute, I'm going to go be a college coach. Can you sort of elaborate on that briefly? Well, I I can't say I did not like the work in the FBI because I loved it. Uh, It was at the point at that that juncture, my daughter was one and my son was two. And I I had some unique assignments, and I was not home at all. And I guess I made initial decision of the job – at Eastern Kentucky opened up, and kind of as an afterthought, I applied for it, thinking, well, I probably won't get it, but I interviewed for it, went down, and I got it, and I I got it just, if you ask me a simple question, I guess I made a family decision, and unlike a politician, you know, they they quit being a politician because they want to be with their family, but I think that was it, because basically, I was on the road so much that I, I hardly say my son and daughter knew me. You know, I can yeah. honestly say yeah. that. And so that was and my initial reason for taking it. much better going to college coaching, as we all know, because that's a 24-7 job. I mean, it's uh, – you really oh, do yeah. I I've got to say, first year was 1972, and that was my senior right. in college, and I got to play – against your team there and uh gosh i think i pulled out 10 8 in the third 10 8 in the third you know high school i had 20 18 in the third but but uh i I think we used to we used to just go the distance huh coach i mean that's oh uh, oh, yeah oh yeah and and of course i distinctly it's it's crazy all those matches that that we play and and watch and coach i do remember your match with with my player Greg Stevenson, Great, and yeah. y'all went at it really for I, I conservatively the better part of three hours, you know, yeah. and and uh, you you won it in the top uh, a ten eight in the third set, you know, as I yeah. remember it, you know, and uh, uh, it was a hard fought match, but but back then, you know, conditioning uh, was you placed a premium on it, and your conditioning actually. 
uh, could take the place a real slick ability level of hitting the stroke. So if you could stay out there long enough and get enough balls yeah. back, uh, you could. Uh, that that was that was a coaching technique back then. You know, for yeah. example, it, it was it was really great. And I've got on the other line here. Uh, Coach Kenny Heidinger and Kenny, what do you think? Uh, we got the program rolling here. Are we warmed up enough for you? Well, you know, I hadn't heard that one on Hig. Hig, you haven't touched the you haven't touched the water on Hig stories, but I hadn't heard that one about Vice President Agnew. So that that was a good warm up, I think. <laughs> That's a good warm up. But folks, this is Coach Kenny Heidinger, twenty three years at Indiana University, but before then. Now, now you've been 15 years working with high school kids now up in Indiana, but you were at Mississippi State before that, and then you played out of Pepperdine, I believe. And where'd you where'd you grow up, Kenny? Where'd you grow up? Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Uh huh. Yeah, well, what was the country. connection with what was the connection with Heidinger at Murray State? Um, I had uh, I coached a year. I'd been trying to play. I ruptured an Achilles. I took the job at Southwest Missouri State. When I was coaching at Southwest Missouri State, I met uh, Benny Purcell at Murray, and we hit it off pretty good. So I went back and tried to uh, play again, and, and the body just gave out. And so I, I, I tried to get an assistant coaching job and get a master's degree and uh, called Benny, and he set me up with a scholarship, and I got to go down there and uh, get a master's degree and teach PE and, and uh and be assistant coach. So that's how I got over to Murray. Benny was a great friend, a great mentor, a really super guy. Really, really was, really was. Yeah. Father of Mel, and then Mel took over too. And uh, you know, it's, it's it's just a great shame we lost Benny, but they also they've lost the program there at Murray State, yeah. Moorhead State, so many of the pro Eastern Car East Eastern Kentucky, and we're going to yeah. talk about that here briefly. But Kenny. Um, you had all those years in Indiana where you were the coach of the year. And by, by the way, both of you guys, Kenny, uh, Tom, Hall of Fame guy in Kentucky, Kenny, uh, you, I, I don't know if they put you in that in the Hall of Fame there yet in Indiana, or you, you've got, I think you've got to retire before they give you that. We get a lot of blame before you, uh, a Hall of Blame and, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, uh, you know, all the years total, Kenny, what what have you got in, 41, 42 years? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I had a high school job once in 76, and, uh, you know, so I, I, my math skills weren't good enough to count that high, Chuck. That's why I'm in coaching. <laughs> well, anyhow, <laughs> both of us, and I think all three of us would share this as we get started. I want to ask some specific questions and let you guys go. And, and and you guys can sort of take it over. But I tell people I never wanted to be anything else but a coach because they were the people that I respected most. And I got an opportunity as a grad assistant at, at Tennessee Tech. I, I, after college, I went and worked in New York. Uh, I got to work at Harry, for Harry Hopman at Port Washington Tennis Academy. I started at his camp uh, the summer uh, 1972 at a camp in Amherst, Massachusetts. made $70 a week. And then I got that room board and experience and great, great, great opportunity to see the very best trainer of people. And and uh, but we all we all fell in love with tennis, I think. And I'm not going to lead here, but I think we fall we fell in love with it and coaching because those were some of the best people we knew. And then tennis was so hard. Tennis was so hard it was hard to pick up and hard to put down at put us in a great and in a good place so i want to start here a minute um by just talking about college tennis briefly okay because all of us have been college coaches in 1983 i asked my athletic director i said okay golly i can see where this is going look i've always said title nine was a very good law very poorly implemented it was never meant to cut apart a lot of the great sports for the males my daughter, your daughter, everybody's daughter out there deserves a chance to compete. And, you know, but it the way that they implemented it, it shattered a lot of programs. Golly, I mean, you think of the wrestling programs around the country and different programs. It's it's helped a lot of people, but it's hurt a lot of people. And I don't think anybody would argue that point. 
So that's not a political, that's a fact. You know, so 1983, I remember when it was starting to come in, I got to go to lunch with our assistant athletic director. He was a great man, and he said, I said, what, what do you think about the future of tennis? I said, you know, the, uh, golly, it's, I mean, it just seems like we're going to double, double the money going out, and there's not any more money coming in. How are they going to do this? He said, well, first of all, don't ever worry about tennis, Chuck. He said, and this is what he said, he said, tennis – is the least cost for the most exposure ever. You don't need that many people to play. You don't have the injuries that you have in other sports, which in some sports costs a lot. He said, but the bottom line is they will never drop tennis. And by the way, he said, your athletes are among the best students, and they end up getting great jobs, and they become great alumni. Don't, don't worry. Well, let's fast forward. That was, golly, how many years ago? 30, 35, 37 years ago. But we all know what happened. We've had over 400 college teams dropped, and including Coach Higgins, your team at Eastern, Eastern Kentucky there. They, they got dropped. Uh, and, and a lot of teams are just hanging on for dear life. And now with this virus thing going around out there, a lot of coaches are going, holy cow. Ed, will I have a job in the fall? Will I have the job for another year? Any thoughts on what you guys see as the evolution of where we messed up? I don't want to get away from you guys telling great stories about building the cultures of your program. But, Tom, could you jump in there first and then let Kenny, let Kenny go? Uh, basically, uh, I'm afraid college athletics, uh, uh, particularly in the mid-major programs that – we've all started in uh, is really kind of scraping up to try to maintain your two major sports, football and basketball. Uh, the NCAA tournament is a major source of income for uh, your mid-major universities. So you got that as a consideration with the COVID-19 uh, we had no NCAA tournament. So that really put the crunchers, on the mid-majors. You know, I saw an article where the Associated Press, May 29th of this year, said after COVID-19, or at least related to it, uh, there's been a hundred more uh, programs of individual sports eliminated. And, of course, we Ooh. could name them. So so what I see is uh, we, uh, we've got to find a way to, we don't. We both. We all agree that you know this isn't the answer, the total answer. But unfortunately, athletic departments of mid-major schools are searching for ways to, to supplement the athletic budget. Okay, so tennis does not do that. We're laughingly called a non-revenue sport, along with gymnastics, along with wrestling, along with other individual things. So so uh it's a it's a tough thing. So if we could find a way, if you're thinking about trying to salvage it a little bit, if we could find a way to supplement the athletic budget, uh that might be a way. Now at Eastern Kentucky, one of my uh requests when I took the job is that we would build an indoor tennis center, which we did. They have subsequently maintained that as a tennis center despite the efforts of a couple athletic directors to make it an indoor practice facility for football. And they have raised the rates and given him some projections. The guy who runs it, one of my former players, they've given him some projections to make, and he's made them very well. So so this would be a possibility uh, of – find a way to supplement athletic budgets, you know, and, and take away that old stamp of being a non-revenue budget. That would be one way. But right now, I don't want to sound like gloom and doom, but I don't see a real, real good uh, future for college tennis at the mid-major level. Now, we got the five major conferences, uh, you know, that – that really have the nice football and basketball revenue coming in, and they they will supplement it. Now, the NCAA serves as a little bit of a protector for this. 
they were in order to play D1 football and D1 basketball, you got to fund 16 sports. Well, the one thing the NCAA does not specify is the number of women and the number of men's sports. Uh, there are a couple schools now that fund 10 women's sports and six uh, men's sports. So, so that is a little bit of a protector, and the mere fact, like you said uh, at first, it, what happened to you in 1983, uh, what happens there, uh, tennis, by comparison, is really kind of a, a cheap sport to fund for the benefits from which you receive. Uh, right. I know baseball is being looked at a lot. Baseball is a non-revenue sport for the most part, although they charge a, a little bit of revenue. But look at the travel expense for baseball. they got to travel right. with 40 people, for example. So, so this would be my suggestion is to find ways uh, of, of fundraising a little bit, either possibly through alumni, tennis alumni, would be a source or things like this to supplement uh, the athletic budget because state budgets uh, who have traditionally funded are, are being cut back a little bit also. So this is, this is one perspective that I've got uh, again for the number of tennis programs that are being eliminated. Now we can go down the list, Chuck, of, of big schools, you know, that are in, the top five conferences, Kansas for one, that have eliminated their men's tennis, you know, mm-hmm. and you can go down the list. And, and so it really doesn't make a great deal of sense for the, for the benefits returned, you know, to the school, you know, and, they and all graduate, they're good students. And so this is a, 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 a thing, a corollary benefit for tennis. Well, uh, Ken, you got great. Ken, Kenny, Kenny Heidinger, Kenny Heidinger, jumped in there. What do you thought? Yeah, let, let me let me change uh, a little bit of a different deal. When I went to school long ago at Pepperdine, you know, we bought our own rackets. Uh, somebody on the team was stringing the rackets. The guys would pay him two or three bucks to string the racket. We got our own shoes. Um, uh, we got a sweatsuit and we got a pair of shorts and we got a shirt and we were thrilled to get that. Our number one player play, played Wimbledon five times, owns the biggest uh, tennis academy in Brazil now. Our number four player was seated at Wimbledon. We got to play, and that's what was fun. We we came there to play. It's turned too much business, too little sport. What is this about? Oh, is yeah. This about, yeah. Is this about, uh, is it a part of the educational institution or not? The college presidents yeah. have totally bagged out on this. They're making everything cost too much. We got to be in the competitive arms race and offer the best facility, 15 different shirts. Got to offer the guys a winter jacket. Got to give what, what what racket deals you get, how many pair of shoes you get. The the president should be on playing. Um, here, when I was in Indiana, we could play a pretty good schedule uh, without having to fly. We could in state we could play uh, uh, we could play Purdue, we could play Ball State, we could play Notre Dame. Uh, we could go across state line, play Ohio State. Miami of Ohio had a decent program. You know, go down to Kentucky. Uh, Murray State was good. You could play regionally. and we could, Now they're taking plane trips. They're going across the country for one match. This is ridiculous. And this is across the board of every sport. Uh, some of the programs are saying, well, we've got to be treated like football. You know, every, hardly any sport is a revenue-producing sport. A major school, basketball, and football are major revenue-producing sports. Everything else is revenue-negative. And the presidents ought to make their mind up. Do we want to have is, – is athletics important for our kids? Is it important for the development of our young people? Uh, we had a boy played for us, uh, and he was a good student. He came out – his parents were school teachers. He came out of the School of Business. He started out at $100,000 with, um, uh, with a bonus of $50,000. And his company in his company in New York – it was a competitive company. He had six other Big Ten tennis players. Why? Because they said in athletics, these kids learn to deal with pressure. They're competitive. They're self-starters. They were hiring these guys. He left that job in a year and went to a $150,000 job. Uh, athletics means a lot to the development of kids, to the personality. It means to how many presidents have we had that have played Supreme Court justices. We've had a lot of people. How many women CEOs right now were, were part of athletics? You know, uh, athletics should be for the student athlete, and we're turning into a business. Our college presidents are selling out to alumni pressure and to television, and they ought to pull this thing back in. We can bring costs in, but let the kids 
play. Huh. I think that what you have just said hits the nail right on the head with what the heck is going on. I okay, the the money the arms race I really believed happened for no other reason <clears throat> except it when when our administrators started keeping score against others, you know, with all sports trophies and those mm-hmm. things. That that was part of it. But the mm-hmm. education versus entertainment part of the thing is a huge, huge deal. Now, mm-hmm. we all know, we all use Shugu. When I, when I first started at Clemson, first five years, we used to do Shugu. When we had sure. holes in shoes, I passed out a tube of Shugu to the guys and said, fix yeah. them up. You know, you didn't turn the shoes back in. You didn't get any new shoes yeah. until you basically had the thing worn out on the bottom. Bottom, yeah. And ball, I had a ball repumper upper. If the balls went dead, we tried to pump them back up. We used T-shirts. We now you presented a great product because people had pride. But I wanted to make a correlation. It's very interesting. It's almost like spoiling when you know the spoiled kid never gets is hungry. The hungriest dog gets the freshest meat. That level of college tennis right now, regardless of how much. The kids have got, as far as equipment and all the things that they get, it really has not gotten better. It's gotten worse. The the depth of the kids, and I I rate this because of the lack of hunger in Indian individuals. In other words, we didn't have much. The kids didn't have much with lower budgets. And I've always said the same thing, lower the budgets, but let them play. And then you find out who the hungry is. But the more you give Mm -hmm. people... The the more they want and the less they do, you know. And the only hey, listen, <laughs> there's a saying that um, the only free cheese comes in a mouse trap a lot of times too. You know, be careful. <laughs> be, be careful right. what you what you get that that it, that seems like it's for free. Every every everything everything has a a thing. But let's talk about tennis in USA. We have a uh, – I've got to go to commercial here in a few minutes, guys, in a few minutes. But I want to try to talk about this, just sort of get an inroad. In the USA, I have done uh, programs on the sleeping giants in tennis. Uh, a few statistics here. We have 400,000 youngsters that play college tennis. Only 25,000 <clears throat> 25, out of those 400,000 play tournaments are tennis players that's about five percent only five percent of the kid well wait a minute wait a minute that's one out of 16 isn't it? one out of whatever six one sixteenth one out, oh my golly are you kidding me we have you mean that's high school tennis, right to play high school tennis we have four hundred thousand kids yeah. that are signed up for teams so they play tennis, but we only have 7% of those kids, 6 or 7%. 25,000 play, play tournaments in the summertime. So nobody plays tournaments. We're introducing our kids. It's becoming an after-school activity. So I believe high school tennis is a sleeping giant. We've already talked about college and how we uh, <clears throat> things that have happened. A big void. Think about this, folks. A big void we have is the ages of 22 to 35. After youngsters get done playing in college, if they do get to play college, most of them never pick up a racket again until after age 35 because there's nothing for them to do. That's a big sleeping giant. Senior citizens, I bet none of you guys – I, you know, I played two sets of tennis last weekend, and uh, you know, I've always argued that the symmetry got messed up with high-tech rackets. But the senior tennis, they're all they're all going to pickleball. Okay, small town tennis USA, small towns. Over seventy three percent of our professional athletes come out of towns less than fifty thousand people. Now I've identified those as sleeping giants. We need more people becoming tennis players. I'm going to Kenny. I'm going to let you answer this one first. Why don't you go and then you springboard off of him, Tom? What are your thoughts on that, Kenny? Well, Chuck, we're going to go back to the college situation. I I think that women's soccer is flourishing in America because there's a lot of college opportunities. The parents parents look at uh, college tennis. Well, my kid's not going to be able to play go to a good university because there's too many foreign students there. There's not enough opportunity. So they put them in a sport that they can play. And with the 
programs being dropped. Um, you know, so I think that's one thing. We, we, the college has, hurt, has trickled down. The lack of opportunities for American players in college has trickled down. And I've seen a lot of kids uh, in the state of Indiana that are really good athletes. And if they got into a good program and they got the, the, uh, the coaching, the court time, the competition, the strength program, they would turn out to be players. But they don't get the opportunities, so they're, they're just dropping and going somewhere so, else. So one of the things that the sleeping uh, – the elephant in the room – always has been the international amount of international players mm-hmm. in college tennis. 80% right now is the number. 80% of all of the spots on college teams are from filled by international players. And coaches who recruit international players will argue, oh, these are great kids, they're great students, they're an asset to our university. And, uh, you know, but, but the bottom line, ADs might be looking at it and say, you know what, if this, this team has – predominantly international players. I'm not going to have parents calling me either before I drop it. I mean, that's maybe yeah. maybe something. Um, but what you say is right. So you're saying kids aren't going to get into it because there's nowhere for them to play college anymore. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That, that um, makes all the sense in the world. I was thinking about baseball. Do you know baseball plays 71 games? Baseball still is a big stair step into the professional ranks. There's not, you know, baseball is very, very, but golf to compare it to, to college tennis, golf is still a, is an inroad to the PGA. Coach Higgins, what's your thoughts there? Uh, Ken hit it right on the head. Uh, uh, Athletic administrators and presidents and, and guys who handle the purse strings look at that very thing. You know, they'll see a roster with 80% or 100% international kids, and if they eliminate that whole team, uh, they'll get no blowback. Uh, Eastern Kentucky was a classic example. Uh, The guy who took my place for his last six years, uh, he was there. He did not have one American kid on either the men's or the women's roster his last six years. You know, mm-hmm. and and so it becomes an easy mark. You know, they got some budget cuts coming down from the state, and instead of across the board cuts to all the uh, all the sports, it was a ten percent cut. Instead of all the sports taking ten percent, uh, an easy mark eliminate two teams, men's and women's. So so I think Ken hit it right on the head, and then you add. You go through the 10s, 12s, and 14s uh, in in the juniors, it requires a parental commitment, you know, and as a kid progresses to go to tournaments, good golly, to enter a USTA tournament in Charleston, <laughs> I think – I think it's seventy five dollars. No, no, no. It's one hundred and fifteen. That's one hundred and fifteen bucks. Some places now. One, All right, one it requires told a me, commitment. If, sorry to jump in there, but what I, I just no, no, I don't no. want to lose this thought. Uh, one parent told me that their youngster, they they came to a tournament. It cost twelve hundred dollars for the weekend. With for the tournament, the transportation, the hotel rooms, and everything they did, and their youngster played. Listen to this now: forty games total in the tournament of no ad scoring. Forty. Oh. And so he ooh, figured ooh. he figured out it was costing something like twenty six dollars per point. He figured out with no oh. ad scoring, you only get oh, seven man. points. Twenty six dollars a point. So he was saying, "Whoa, wait a minute!" And it doesn't take long for parents to figure this out, you know. Hey, um, guys, let me go to commercial real quick, and then we're going to be back. We're going to shift gears and talk about tennis, USTA, and, and what we need to do, and let's solve some problems. Okay. Now I'm going to put you on hold here. And then I'm going to go to a commercial, and we'll be right back. This is Coach Chuck Creasy in American Tennis. And it's Coach Chuck Creasy, and I want to tell you a quick story, folks. In 1987, I hand-wrote Coaching Tennis. Excuse me. I want to make sure that I get this right. 
Coaching Tennis that came out in 1997 was handwritten as Total Tennis Training in 1987. Now, for those many that many years, this book is still out on the market, and it was recently rated as the third top-selling instructional book of all times with tennis. It's still out there, Coaching Tennis by Coach Chuck Creasy. You can go to Amazon and get this book now. You don't have to wait. You can get it the next day. It's called Coaching, Cre- Coaching Tennis, and it's Creasy as K-R-I-E-S-E. And try it out, folks, because some of the stuff that – Seems old-fashioned, it still works today. Coaching Tennis by Coach Chuck Creasy. Chuck Creasy and we're back and uh, Coach Higgins and Coach Ken, Ken Heidinger uh, we we need uh, we've got a good 20 minutes or so here and I want to make sure the program goes in the way that you guys need but I do want I'm going to ask you a philosophical question here uh, Kenny you're in charge of USTA you are the czar of tennis in America Tell us how we stop the bleeding and start the growing again. Well, boy, that's a, that's an easy one. Here. <laughs> uh, first of all, I go. I work in conjunction with the with the colleges because if you look at the history, up until Agassiz, I think, and Sampras and those guys, every American that won a major played college tennis, with one exception. And so I get to work with the college again and try to work on them to get them more coaching, to make it less of a recruiting game, to get more court time, more matches. Then it's a numbers game, too. we we got to get more kids playing. Uh, we've got to get the price of, of, of lessons down. We've got to get, we've gotta in, get uh, into the schools. Um, we've got to get the uh, – you know, I don't think the game – if you teach it to a good athlete, it doesn't have to be so tricky. Get it to them young and let them start playing a lot. Uh, so I think it's part numbers, Chuck. But if, if if I had a fuller answer to this, I, I'd give it to you. But it's it, we're obviously competing with telephones and uh, and uh, electronic games, and uh, you know it's a little bit different mentality out there. So. I'm not sure that I can give you a, a I I like answer. what you those said. You know, I want to explore this a little bit about the cost factor and the cost of lessons and things and how we have exploited the game. Some people have just exploited, but I want to get uh, Coach Higgins, let's get your ideas in there. You're the czar, man. Now listen, you you guys have more experience than any 10 coaches out there that are usually working at a club or something. So what would you do, coach? Well, not only do you need to get it out of the uh, rich kid's status and the club Mm -hmm. status, we've got to get it back to the public parks. Years and years ago, back in the dark ages, I played in the Chicago Public Parks Tournament, you know, years and years ago. And that was a big, big tournament. And it, it, it was, I think, back then, I think the entry fee was probably 6 or $8 at the most, and that counted for your balls. So what we got to start doing is teaching tennis at the elementary school level and actually turn, uh, what I would do for a portion of the tournament fee, I would see that it goes back to instruction for for young kids. And I'm talking about really maybe second, third, and fourth graders you know, getting them start playing at an early, early level. And so it's been my experience that if the kids start playing early, you know, and get an interest, the next thing you know, by getting the child interested, the parent also gets interested. So in answer, a short answer to that, we need a grassroots growth and not just cater to uh, uh, kids that already play and and really make the opportunities to play these tournaments uh, a little more uh, graduated. In other words, let's face it, in a a round of 32, uh, 
there's only one winner. You know, so so I like the idea of making it available where where kids can can travel to a, a, a point, and we do that to have a back draw, we have a consolation, we do all that, but at least be assured of getting two or three, possibly four matches to get the match experience when you travel to a site. And and we really need a grassroots level of instruction to start it early. Now, that would be my area of emphasis. And then you know, what Ken said, go to the college would be an outgrowth of that. You know, what you say, uh, we all, you know, it makes complete sense. And I know that the USTF, everybody, anybody from USTA is listening, they'll say, well, we did that with 10 and under tennis, and we did that with green ball tennis, and we've done that with community tennis uh, community tennis, all these programs they've put out recently. I read where the USTA has gone to away from programming to more of support support groups. Now, one of the things that I've argued for a lot of years is that anytime you make something a top-down management situation, it kills initiative before it gets level four. In other words, the same thing as the No Child Left Behind program or something. In our school systems, they're being paralyzed. Listen, the amount of money, they said $11,000 per child is put into government education or education systems, and we still have kids that yeah. are not, not doing what they need to do and not. But so individual incentives of the park, Ken, uh, uh, Kenny, uh, Tom is exactly right, but here's the one thing I think we're missing. You know, with tennis, people think it's it's an e. They think it's easy to pick up, but it's easy becomes easy to put down. We don't get the hook in the kid's mouth. We don't teach them with the history and the heritage of the game in the park department. And then you said something about the lessons, the price of lessons. They've got to come down. Wow. You know that recently I paid $300 an hour for a lawyer fee, and re- I paid for accountants $250 an hour. Now, there's some coaches out there that are charging outrageous fun- fees. We never looked at it that way, but they're saying, well, Americans, they just think if you pay more, it's better, and that's not true. We had a lot of people trying to market the game instead of it being a – a um, servant-type situation, service-type situation, like we all started. Kenny, jump in there if you got some ideas. No, I'm – keep going, Chuck. Keep going. No, no. No, I could – I don't want to keep going forever. I've studied this stuff a lot. I wanted to start a program called Small Town Tennis USA. Any of you listening out there, think about the logic here. We need to get tennis into the smaller towns. Well, obviously, the problem is there's usually not a qualified tennis person in the small right. town. A lot of times, yeah. coaching high school, it might be a football or basketball coach. So here's what you do. Any local college that has a tennis program in that state, you contact the coach. And you say, Coach, have you got a number six, seven, or eight guy that's not going to play pro tennis? We've got a job for $250 a week here. And he will be director of tennis at our community center. And guess what? We're going to get him a PTR certification, so insurance is covered, and we got him covered. But he or she will be in charge of stirring the pot and getting our kids playing tennis. Can you send us something, and we're going to cut them loose and let them learn. And we do two things. We build great teachers and great coaches. And just like you guys and I did, I fell in love with getting the coach because I got to work. I got to work for the Indianapolis Park Department for $2 an hour, 40 hours a week, (laughs) one summer. And then the next summer I worked at a country club for $2 an hour. But you fall in love with the process. What do you guys think about that idea? I love it a lot. Now, one example that I've experienced in South Carolina, and Chuck, you're probably more familiar with it than I am, the city of Sumter. Uh, the city of Sumter and their their public parks, their public recreation program, as it pertains to tennis, they this was all built. Their their big big tennis facility was built with the aid of merchants, motels. Everybody mm-hmm. got in the game, and as a result, they attract regional tournaments, and everybody benefits from it. And they promote it 
big time. You know, as far as tennis for juniors at all levels, and it is a reasonable uh, rate fee because it is subsidized by the city of Sumter. Are you familiar at all with Sumter? Oh, yeah. Uh, Kent, uh, listen, listen, Sam Kaiser. I was Sam when he first started, they planned that facility and the amount of revenue that hotels and restaurants and things have been able to generate because of the many, many tournaments. But again, you had the point man there, Ken, uh, uh, Sam Kaiser just really, really went to work and he had a great city council. I forget the lady's name that did such a great job up there. But they always welcomed activities in, and uh, little by little, they created a fire, and they've got a now a thriving uh, junior college oh, yeah. program there at USC Sumter, and tennis right. is on fire in that in that uh, that town, and that sleepy town is waking up a lot. The amount of industry that recently is moving in there, and uh, the downtown area has been revitalized. A lot of it has to do with the work of of those people, Sam, in, in at the the tennis center there, that the Palmetto Tennis Absolutely. Center. Absolutely. So that's so, so really to me, it. I think that 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 would be a, a kind of a semi model uh, to start, you know, because uh, they've got beautiful facilities and everybody is behind it. You know, you've got to get, uh, in spite of what we like, I agree with what Ken said exactly. It's got to be part of the curriculum. You know, this. You know, athletics does. I, I I agree with that. But you're still in this day and age. We've got to get business. We've got to get everybody behind the thing and and sell them from a business standpoint on the return that they would get from the city as an economic benefit. You know. Right. Right. And so right. That, well, that. That's no, no, that, that, I, that, that's a great one. And, and Kenny, we're close. We've got about eight, nine minutes here, but I wanted to ask both of you. One of you can go first. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about this, but I'm going to tell my best. Old, old, fa- old school is not old-fashioned, you know, that lessons live on forever, and the lessons you guys' wisdom lives on forever. I want you to think of one of the best stories of a player – developing that that you have ever had uh this a situation that you've ever had and um you know i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna tell a, a couple quick ones here or a very quick one but this is what college tennis is about it's about the work that you do with with young people with young people all right so i'm going to tell a story about a man named robert davis um, Robert Davis, I've got a picture of him with me here, camp, Tiger Tennis Camp, 1984. And I'm a younger man, of course, and he's a young 14-year-old guy. I've got my arm around him, and I've got an old uh, Prince Woody racket in my hand there, the old Woody. So Robert was this young man who used to come to my camps, and uh, he had a lot of charisma with with young people, and within about – a year or two of coming, I used to help get him to help pay part of his tuition. He would work with the real young kids. Now, we couldn't, can't do that, couldn't do that. And back then, you, you had leeway to try to help kids out, and you'd, you'd give them jobs to sort of pay for their tuition to camp. Well, little by little, he's kept teaching, and he tried to walk on at, at Clemson, and he didn't make it. He ended up joining the Navy, did a couple years in the Navy, ended up teaching tennis, came back, taught tennis. The long and the short of it, I followed his career. Actually, I talked to him on the phone yesterday. He's in Cambodia, and you can go right now to CNN Asia, I think it is, and he did a program called From Killing Fields to Tennis Courts. He absolutely, now listen, he never played it down for, he was on our team, but he never never played it down. He uh, ended up teaching tennis a lot and doing our junior programs, and he taught it, tried to get a little experience here, a little experience there. He has ended up being a national coach for about five countries, and he's spent the last 15 years pretty much in Asia. And tennis has been a tremendous inroad for him. But um, I'm just very, very proud of that and, and what he did. And um, 
So, you know, we've all got stories like that. I've got 10 of them I could pick pick out, but to the parents listening, it's it they said sport is alive for a lifetime, it's surely for a lifetime. Kenny, do you, do you have a story? Well, I, a million of them. You know, there's a million of them. I, you know, here's something that happened to me in, in, in high school tennis. Can I mention names, Chuck? Are we allowed to do that? High school kids, but, you know, yeah. uh, I, I only now. mention him because he's, he's in college. Okay. Probably, well, probably me, this don't. Is just, just, I, I, yeah. had, I had two boys. I had two boys named uh, Jory Schaub and, and Zach Held. And they came in yep. as freshmen. They were pretty good athletes. But they were playing uh, number nine on the JV team, so that meant they were about 16 on the on the whole team ladder as freshmen. Now, by junior year, Zach makes all team first state in doubles and gets to the semifinals of state. And by senior year, Jory does the same thing. Now, what happened? These guys just kept playing tennis year round. They kept getting fundamental instruction. They enjoyed the game and they kept playing. They could have, they, if, this is what I'm talking about, if they had gone on to play college tennis, they would have played somewhere. It would have taken them a year because they, they still weren't into their full growth of their bodies. But that's two kids. They're, they're 18, and by their junior, on the team, and not even, you know, and, and by their junior and senior year, their first team All-State. That's just opportunity to play and, and having some, some, but there's tons of stories like that, Chuck. And well, a good story kids. is those kids wanted to go on to a big time. They wanted to play, but they couldn't get a spot on the roster. And if they had had a spot on the roster and been lifting weights by their junior year, they would, they could have played a lot of places. Well, spots on the roster is another story. It's not just scholarships. Yeah. Spots on the roster is the numbers game, and uh, yeah. that everybody has to do. That's called proportionality, and yeah. and right. and uh, you know, it's just something all athletic directors have to do. And it has to do with the size of the school and all all those things that are mm-hmm. political. But Ken, uh, Tom Higgins, Tom Higgins, I want you real quick now, Tom. Dang it! Yo. has coaching changed a little bit? I, we could ask you about some of your methods. I heard you made me look like a kitty cat as far as how tough you were after being, uh, you know, in the military and in Vietnam and then the FBI. Then you come. And and I heard you ran a lot of people off before they started figuring out what the culture was there. Well, I I could tell you a couple. Of, we've all got a hundred stories about success stories. Let me give you one, and I'll tell you what what I did. Uh, Tim Pleasant actually is a is, was from Ironton, Ohio. Great athlete. Uh, he worked with Ken and and I in Ken's uh, tennis camp at Indiana. And Ken bounced around in tennis, got a master's. He was a head coach at Austin P. And today, Ken, uh, I mean, Tim, is the director of tennis down at the USTA Tennis Academy in Orlando. He he, he supervises over 30 coaches, and, and he's he's got a youth program. But, but Tim was great. But Tim, like a couple of my kids that came in, liked to party. And so, so I tell this on Tim, and I tell him two or three ways. Uh, and in Richmond, Kentucky, one of my favorite stories is that party night was Thursday night, and you could get in a bar in Richmond, Kentucky, at age eighteen. You just couldn't legally buy alcohol until age twenty-one. Well, it was a small matter to get somebody to do that for you. So, so we the streets of Richmond, Kentucky would look like New Orleans on Thursday night because the kids from Lexington would come to Richmond to party. And so I would schedule uh, conditioning on Friday morning at 6 o'clock. I never once told the guys not to party, but we would actually run sprints on the gym. We would run steps in the uh, Alumni Coliseum, and literally uh, I would run, they would run so hard until they would actually barf. And so so Tim still tells that on, on me uh, like that. He said, Coach, he said, you never once told us not to party, but the only thing you said is is uh, if you can't party all night and work all day, 
don't party. <laughs> and try. Oh, that, that, that one's a hard one to top there. That's perfect. Uh, coach, and, and Coach, listen, here's the message. I think we're all passing on. It's education over entertainment for college athletics and for high no school doubt. athletics. It's not no just doubt. a – it's not an after-school activity. You have to invest. You have to give all you – you have to have a culture – where you must engage yourself, you must go after this. It becomes you work for mastery, mastery. I watched a video the other night on great composers, and they said love, love plus the time equal put in yeah. equals the mastery. So you know yeah. that's that's the thing. Maybe we've lost our way and gotten away from the the educational part of it, and and and. Uh, that's where we have to go. But we're guys. We're we're out of time here, and I wanted to thank both of you, Kenny Heidinger, and uh, God bless you for the work you continue to do. And and Coach Tom Higgins, man, I look forward to just hanging out with you a little bit sometime here. You know, we got to do okay. that. Thank, thank, yeah. thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Ken Heidinger. Okay, hey, thank we you, want to remind every. Yep, we, you want to remind everybody you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss, and we'll see you next week on America. America.